What's important to understand though, is that percentages do not give you anything about the real number. An increasing or decreasing percentage does not mean an increasing or decreasing amount. Hi everyone, welcome to the 7 Stage LSAT Podcast. My name is Henry Ewing and I'm joined with my co-host, Asta Sinha. Uh, I am sick today, listeners mm. of the podcast, so I'm sorry you have to hear me like this, but the show must go on. The think podcast about how we stops feel. for no one. Yeah, Whatever. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I feel terrible. <laughs> Henry, what are we... <laughs> What are we what are we talking about today other than uh, my so strep throat? On today's doc, we're going to talk a little bit about some some basic economic principles that appear on this test. Um, and that is I think are pretty good to familiarize yourself and we're also going to be doing a quick overview of proportions. A lot of people end up struggling with proportions on this test uh, because I mean, you know, it's not a math test. You don't have to be great at math, but there are some mathematical concepts that are um, you know, expected that you understand. In particular, dealing with percentages, proportions, and whatnot. Um, I want to I wanna preface this by saying that, you know, we say a lot on this podcast, and you'll hear generally about the LSAT, that you don't need to have any background knowledge, or you shouldn't come into this test with any background information. That's still true, right? Mm-hmm. What we're going to talk about today when it comes to economics or math, all these different concepts, they are not things that you need to be an expert on, but they can make approaching certain types of questions a lot easier and a lot yeah. more efficient. You can mm-hmm. get through a lot of these questions about proportions or supplier demand or whatever. You can get through them. It'll just take quite a bit of time. But if you already have these concepts familiar, you've practiced them, you feel really comfortable with kind of rudimentary numbers and proportions, your life will be a lot smoother. So I, yeah. I don't want to go into this episode thinking if you're not really good at math and you haven't done Calc 3, you're not going to be good at the LSAT. That's not true. But these things are tools that you can use as you're approaching some of these questions. Yeah, fun fact: I um I, I dropped out of Calc three uh, when I was uh, <laughs> yeah I was playing on being a math Calc major. 3? Oh, okay. I was playing on being a math major. Yeah, you know. Um, just to bounce off of that though, just going on your idea about how there's not uh, outside knowledge is not a requirement per se. The alien example it gets often brought up, right? Imagine you're an alien coming down to Earth and you just don't really know anything. You did this to me last episode. I was like, "What are you talking about?" I don't know if you saw the is final that, is cut. Is this not? Is this wait? Is this not? So, did I did I hallucinate that this is an explanation? The a common explanation. I, I on the curriculum. That was my understanding. Yeah, on the core curriculum, or maybe it's in some other book. I had not Sorry, heard I was it cheating before. On Sage. Personally. <laughs> But you um, said it last episode. I was like, what could you possibly... Why are we talking about aliens right now? But your point makes sense. Continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the idea of the, you know, imagining you're an alien, uh, the, the reason we say that is because you you want to... You don't want to come in with as little assumptions, right? And where do assumptions come from? It's just your, your lived experience, right? So you're assuming um, X, Y, and Z just because that's how it works in the real world, but it might not be logically consistent. And so the idea is you inhabit... Uh, you know, Imagine you're an alien coming down to Earth and you don't know anything... You should, in theory, be able to do pretty well on this test. However, um, just because it's not a requirement, it does not mean it's not useful. Uh, nothing on this test ends up going against reality. Mm. Right? For example, in, in reading comprehension, all of the RC passages are, are, are like real, in, in a sense. right? Yeah. They're not uh, fabricated. Um, they are things that happened. Uh, they're not going to invent some event that occurred in the past just to write an RC passage about it. it, it it's about actual events. Uh, similarly, 
um, the economic concepts on this test are, are real, uh, and, and they're not going to you know, contradict each other. Uh, the math on this test is real. And so the more familiar you are with math, the more familiar you are with economics, the more familiar you are with uh, history. And I, I really think like history is, is such a, a powerful one with RC. Um, the easier you're going to have, easier time you're going to have on this test. With that out of the way, let's talk a little bit about what you are expected to know. Right? You let's. are expected to have an understanding of percentages. Right? Percentages and fractions and... Um, proportions in particular yeah uh, so let's go down with percentages right why are percentages very tricky uh, what is a percentage how would you describe a percentage what is a percentage i guess a ratio right what proportion of things from one group to the next yeah i actually don't know i tossed it back to you because i was uh <laughs> <laughs> right well, I, I think that's I guess, correct I guess, you know, right a fraction right yeah percentage what portion it, it, of something is of mm -hmm. another group yeah, right. It's it's the ratio of something. The percentage of people who are Asian in this room, uh, that's undeniable, right? It's okay. Whatever. The percentage of people are, you know, it's it's the number of Asians divided by the number of people in the room, mm -hmm. right? And so what you're looking for is it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship between a certain group versus the entirety of that group, right? So the percentage of people who vote, right, uh, in America, right? So what that is is a relationship between the number of people who vote versus the number of people that actually live in America. Mm -hmm. And so when you're thinking about percentages, what it, what it, what it's saying effectively is if I say, uh, you know, 50% of people like to buy coffee. Well, what does that mean? That half of people like to buy coffee. Mm -hmm. What's important to understand though, is that percentages do not give you anything about the real number, right? So percentages Absolutely. can never inform you about the real number. Um, if I say, hey, look, 50% of people in America like to buy coffee, 20% of people in South Africa like to buy um like to buy ice cream sure sure now uh, now uh, of course i'm going against my my real life analysis here uh but you don't actually know if the number of people who like to buy coffee in america is greater than the number of people who like to buy ice cream in south america or south Absolutely. africa Did i go with africa or america? you went africa yeah south africa uh the issue is is so sure there's a higher percentage of people right, in america versus a higher percentage of people in south africa but the issue is we don't know how many people live in South Africa. We don't know how many people live in America. Mm -hmm. uh, so how, how they are going to try and get this uh, to um, – how they, they're going to try and burn you on this test by, by getting you to make that assumption that a larger percentage necessarily indicates a larger number, right? So in the past, 100% um, uh, of people used hunted for food. Oh, sure. 100% of people hunted, right, for food. I don't know if it's 100%, right? But imagine, like, in the Stone Ages, people would hunt. There they wasn't any of this farming stuff going on, <laughs> right? And now, by comparison, a much smaller percentage of people hunt today. Have you ever hunted? No. God, no. Mm -mm. I'd be really bad oh, at it, probably. Yeah. Only, only LSAT problems, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> only LSAT problems. Right? So there's a much smaller a percentage of hunters today, right? I, you would reckon that. Uh, however, it could be that there's a lot more hunters today than there ever were. Because mm -hmm. so, even though there's a smaller percentage of hunters in the world today, there's a much larger number of people. And so when you're looking at percentages on this test, a good thing you can take a quick pause on is asking yourself, well, wait, hey, they're talking about percentages. I know that they like to spring traps on me when it comes to percentages. So whenever you see Always. a percentage, ask, remember, remind yourself that you don't know the actual size. 
you don't know the actual number. How is this relevant today? Right, so we have a larger percentage of uh, uh, wind farm and solar energy and a decreasing percentage of fossil fuels. So one might assume that, wow, we are, are doing a great thing here. We're burning so much less fossil fuels. But in fact, the opposite is true. Even though we have a decreasing percentage of fossil fuels being burned, we actually have an increasing amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. And it's mm -hmm. true of America right now, right? So the, the idea here is that it's very deceptive, right? You'll hear, oh, man, we have a decreasing percentage of fossil fuels. And you, oh, aren't we doing so good? Well, we actually aren't doing good. We're <laughs> doing worse. Mm -hmm. Even though we are, are lowering our percentage, we're still increasing the number of fossil fuels that we pump into uh, the atmosphere every day. Uh, so uh, just to make it a little more relevant to you today, uh, uh, something that uh, in real life, I love I love bringing in real life examples. Uh, I love ahead. it. I mean, I think the biggest thing that you're pointing out here that feels very simple when we're just talking about it. But when you're looking at an LR question, it's very tricky, especially in a time crunch, is that an increasing or decreasing percentage does not mean an increasing or decreasing amount right? Mm -hmm. Things can go up in percentage and go down in the total amount or vice versa. Just like you were saying, mm -hmm. you know, we can have a lower amount of percent, a lower percentage amount of fossil fuels. That doesn't mean the amount of fossil fuels aren't still going up. And especially yeah. when you're comparing those two things, it can get really, really tricky to keep straight. So like mm -hmm. Henry said, whenever you're doing, especially an LR question, if you're seeing a percentage come up, especially comparison between percentages, you have to be very, very careful to make sure you're not confusing amount with proportion because those are two yeah. completely different things. And it's something that I have a lot of students come to me asking, like, can you find me a list of LR questions that have numbers in them? You know, and, and this is usually the reason they're asking, right? Because they're getting tripped up on these types of proportions. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Henry, there was a question we were talking about before we were starting to record uh, about unemployment rates. Could you like walk us through that example and just kind of tell us what tends to be confusing about it? Yeah, um, I can't remember, and we can't go into the exact details of the problem, but, but effectively what, what happened in this problem is that uh, we were comparing two political parties. Uh, political party A, um, during their tenure uh, in power, uh, the unemployment rate was higher than, I don't know, we'll call it 10%, right? So the unemployment rate, in, or not, not only the unemployment rate, actually, and so here, here we're already going into the problem with percentages, the amount of people who are unemployed increased by some number greater than 10%. We'll just call mm -hmm. it 10%. Um, and so we're saying, all right, well, interesting. that's not so good. You don't want 10% more unemployed people. Uh, and then the new party came into power. Or we'll call it political party B. And the number of people who are unemployed increased by less than 10%. And so the argument went that, wow, uh, under the tenure or the, the, the reign, if you will, of party B, there were less people unemployed than under the reign of party A. Now, the issue with that is that actually the number of unemployed people kept increasing. Absolutely. It's just the, the, the amount that it increased by was less under party yeah. B. But nevertheless, that still means that there's more unemployed people under the reign of party B. And uh, that's super know, tricky. You know, like that's one of those things that if I read political party A, you know, increased unemployment by 12%. Political party B came after that and increased unemployment. You know, it went down, right? It increased mm -hmm. by less than 10%. I want to say that there are fewer unemployed people now, but you can't, right? That's not how these yeah. proportions work out. Uh, and I think an easy way to, to visualize this, or at least what I do when I'm thinking about proportions and rates of change, is kind of like a, like a water hose. You know, like there's water coming out of a water hose. 
if you decrease, you know, if I step on the on the water hose, like in the middle, there's going to be less water coming out. But there's still mm. water coming out of the water hose. It's just coming out at a slower rate. Same thing here, right? Unemployment is increasing, right? There are still more people that are unemployed now than before, just at a lower rate. The water is coming out at a lower rate. So whenever you're thinking about proportions, whatever kind of anchor statement that you use to, to remember what that relationship means, that's fine. As long as you're able to kind of keep it straight. Because those numbers, those proportions, those percentages especially, uh, have a tendency to make what would otherwise be a relatively simple argument, right? Like maybe Mm -hmm. a two or three star question uh, will almost immediately become a five star question because a lot of people get tripped up with these kind of proportions. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. I've got a great video about proportions here. What is the video? It's of someone making a a bad argument. Can you just tell me the argument? No. No. So give this here. Watch this. Check this out. I would argue anything we're putting into the ocean that is manufactured is not good for the ocean. I agree. If I throw this away right now, is there a good chance it'll end up in the ocean? Yes. Really? American trash is what's ending up in the ocean? Globally. Really? There's, okay, so there's pretty, pretty good studies on this that would say that the, uh, in the Pacific Ocean trash, and spe- plastic specifically, the vast, vast majority of it, over 90%, comes from Asia, African countries. Is that not true? Uh, the, I think the numbers do tend to show that sort of uh, uh, increase on the part of the mm-hmm. Asian countries, but that doesn't mean that we're not contributing to part of that as well. How much do we contribute? Uh, I don't have the answer at the top of my head. It's like less than a percent, isn't it? I don't know. Did, did, did he catch what happened there, Asta? I did catch what happened there. A fun little game of proportions. Yeah, a fun little game of proportions, or, or, or really of, of incorrect percentages. Yeah. Um, in, in that situation, uh, Dan Crawford, uh, he's, he's rebutting the idea that uh, there's a good chance that American trash ends up in the ocean. And the reason why is that such a small percentage of trash, or at least in the Pacific, is from America. And apparently the vast majority of it is from uh, Asia. Well, you know, let's just assume all of those facts are, well, let's just assume that it is true that a vast majority of the trash is from Asia and the Pacific Ocean. It could be something like 99%. Let's say 99% of the trash in uh, the Pacific is from Asia. It nevertheless could be true that 100% of American trash also ends up in the Pacific. Uh, Because the issue is we just don't know how much trash America actually produces versus how much trash, um, you know, uh, Asia produces. This is not me dunking on any particular country, too. This is a, a merely hypothetical. But, yeah, right, uh, the, the 10% here, that America produces in the oceans could be 100% of America's trash, right? All yeah, of our right. trash could make up that 10%. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, uh, barring the, you know, whatever argument you may land on, at the very least, uh, uh, Mr. Crawford or, or con- Congressman Crawford's uh, conclusion that there is a a low chance that a water bottle uh, from America ends up in the ocean, uh, that's not a valid argument. That is not an argument that you're able to make. It's actually, besides valid, it's not even a strong argument at all, Mm -hmm. regardless of the validity. It's just a a very poor argument here. Yeah. Um, And so it just goes to show that how proportions, percentages end up being incredibly difficult to manage, even for, uh, you know, the highest echelons (laughs) of power, of American power. Congress people? I, I Congress people. I mean, you're pretty up there if you're a Congress person. Right. Are you not? Fair enough. That's fair. I mean, like it. I agree though, right? This is complicated. Second for only to LSAT tutors, <laughs> people who are studying for the LSAT in in the real world. Um, and I also think it's good 
practice right as you're if you're studying for the LSAT and you're hearing these arguments being made in the real world on the news people you talk to you can identify these flaws there it's gonna be a lot easier for you to identify them when you actually get to an LR question and and vice versa Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly so let's move on to the next thing that you wanted to talk about today economics supply and demand what's going on there yeah, there's well, there's a couple ideas in economics that I, I just think are 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 useful uh, t- to know about, uh, mostly because they get referenced to. Mm-hmm. Right, so if you have just a cursory understanding of the concepts of supply and demand, um, and, and this idea of like taxes, you're going to be in a much better better place. Uh, so the concept of um, of taxes. Right, comes up a decent amount of the time, and, and just one thing that uh, I, I think is important to be aware of is this idea of like uh, tariffs. Right? Have you heard of a tariff? Do you know what a tariff is? Yeah, like a tax on goods coming in or out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tariffs are, are taxes on imports, mm. right? So uh, when you're importing something into your country, uh, you might put a tariff on it, right? So it, it's a form of protectionism. Uh, not really that important whether you know the protectionist angle, but the idea is a tariff is just a tax, right? It, it, this is, I feel like I see the word tariff all the time on LR. Maybe it's because I'm looking at the same set of problems. <laughs> it does come uh, up. It will, does come up. Yeah, without fail, someone ends up, um, uh, someone ends up uh, asking, like, what is a tariff, right? It's a tax on imports or exports. So the goods coming in and the goods going out. Uh, so if you're just aware of that, you're in a, in a good spot. In terms of supply and demand, you don't have to know too much about economics, but you do have to understand – it is very useful to understand this concept of supply and demand. Right? Uh, supply is the amount of goods that are available, and demand is the amount of people that want to purchase such good. And the idea – so let's say you know the supply of Coca-Cola. The idea of supply of Coca-Cola, right, it's just the, the amount of Coca-Cola that's available. Right? And the demand is how many people want to buy Coca-Cola. And where those two lines intersect is where the price comes about. Um, now, you don't have to understand this concept of pricing. But what you do have to understand is this concept that as demand increases, so, do, so too does the price. Right? So all things being equal, if I go from you know, 10 people wanting Coca-Cola to 100 people wanting Coca-Cola, What's that, what that's going to do to the demand is it's going to increase the amount of demand, mm-hmm. right? And as the demand increases, the amount of money it takes to buy a Coke uh, also increases, right? Because before, like, let's say there's only one person who wants to buy a Coke, and you're selling that Coke for $5. Mm-hmm. You're the Coke salesperson. <laughs> so I'll come up with, hey, I'll offer you $5 for the Coke. You say, okay, good. You know, that's a fair transaction. Well, let's say we start adding a couple other people into this mix. Uh, maybe it's me and, and John over there who wants to buy that Coke. Okay. And I offer you $5. And John says, hey, look, I also will offer you $5 for that Coke. Well, you also, what are you going to do there? I'm going to raise the price of the Coke. I'm going to make some more money off of it. Yeah, you're going to raise the price of the Coke a little bit because you know that both of us are willing to pay. So maybe you make it $6. Then I say, ah, never mind. $5 for a Coke. I mean, it's crazy already. But $5 for a Coke, it's a little too far for me. And John's like, all right, you know what? I'd love to buy that Coke. And so the idea is that as demand increases, so too does the price. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that you, you want to just be aware of. And a similar concept applies to supply, but the reverse. Right? As you increase the number of Cokes available, you're going to decrease the price. And so if, in, in our example, let's say you're selling Coke for $6. Another person comes in, Tiffany. Tiffany also wants to sell her Where Coke. Where are these names coming from? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Okay. Tiffany. Right, like, like, I guess Tiffany comes in, right? Tiffany comes in, she, wants to, uh, she also wants to sell her Coke. 
she notices that you're selling your Cokes for something like $6. And so what she's going to say is, well, hey, look, maybe I could sell my Coke for $6, but Oz is getting all the business. Maybe uh, I could sell it for five fifty. Okay. All right, five fifty, And then people start buying Coke from her. And then you say, well, hmm, well, maybe I can decrease my price. Right? It only cost me $4 to buy Coke. So then you, you undercut her. All right? So as you increase the amount of people who are supplying Coke, and the, the price is also going to come down mm-hmm. until you hit the equilibrium, which is you know, the cost of production. It's in theory what the price should be. Um, that is all you need to know. Right? As demand increases, so does the price. As supply increases, the, the price goes down. Uh, you, you just need to understand those concepts.